Well, all right, we're going to look at two passages of Scripture this morning, starting with 1 Kings chapter 19. And so I will put it up on the screen for you here if you want to get your fingers on a copy of God's Word. Uh, we've got Bibles around the room. We'd love for you to do that. We also have the Scripture on the app here. But 1 Kings chapter 19, uh, we're in the middle of a sermon series that we're calling the Wilderness Series And in the Bible, there are, are numerous biblical figures who walk through literal wildernesses in their, their lives. Dry, rocky, inhospitable wastelands where people can't live, but they have to be there for a season. There are three, namely three uh, wildernesses that we see in the Bible. There's the Judean wilderness, there's the wilderness of the Sinai Peninsula, and then there's the Arabian wilderness. And biblical figures will walk through these various wildernesses. And what's interesting is that these geographical wildernesses also seem to, to mirror these seasons of the soul for these people. And I know many of us can relate where we have seasons of the soul like this, where our soul feels dry. And we feel a little bit lost and confused and things are chaotic and we're wandering a bit. You've lost your bearings, you're uncertain, you're hurting, you're just in a funk. The wilderness of the soul. And for your pastors, this has been an opportunity for us just to let you get a look up under the hood and see into our own souls and our own struggles. And uh, hopefully it's encouraging to you that we struggle too. Uh, you're feeling pain? Yeah, me too. Confused at times, me too. You struggle with anxiety, me too. You battle depression, me too. You hurt, me, me too. I, I, I'm, I've been there, I, I'm there. And so um, it can be tough. It can be tough. Life can be hard. Life can be hard. One of the greatest responsibilities that I have is to prepare you for it. And that's what this series is, is all about, is to prepare you for it and show you how you can survive and thrive in the wilderness. But you know whose life is, is really the hardest for? Life is really the hardest for my daughter, Nora. It's, I'm telling you, it is, my five-year-old baby girl, I'm, she has to wake up every morning and make massive life-altering decisions like scrambled eggs or Cheerios. I mean, it's, it's, it's tough on her. Or, or she's got these deadlines, like her, her teacher will say, you got 10 minutes to complete this coloring page. And the stress is just it's in, intense, or, or the physical pain of her, her long, thick, snarly hair when, when mom has to brush it and just, and it, it oh, it's so, it's so painful. It's, it's just really, really difficult. Or the malnourishment that she faces. Uh, past 7 p.m. at night, she can't have sugar. She has to drink water, no juice, and so it's just, it's, I'm famished. I mean, they just, you know how it is. Oh, I'm dying. <laughs> You're dying, really, really. Okay. It's tough, and sometimes, this is going to be hard for you, but sometimes she doesn't even get an afternoon nap. I mean, it can be, it can be a, a tough life, and so it's no wonder that with that kind of life, every now and again, she just says, I'm done, I'm done, and it seems like it always happens in public, right? And her legs just turn into spaghetti, and she just falls on the ground and kicks and cries and, and, and screams and just decides, I, I can't walk anymore, I can't do it anymore, I'm just completely done. You know how that goes with kids? They just kick and scream and it's, it's over. And word kind of travels around our family really, really fast. For your own safety, do not go near the five-year-old girl flipping out on the ground over there. She woke up on the wrong side of the bed. She's in a bad mood. But it's only kids, right? You've been there as an adult? As an adult, you just, it's, you're in a bad mood. 
I'm just so done with this day or with this week or with this year or if something else happens, I'm just, I'm done. But what I appreciate about my daughter, Nora, and what I appreciate about kids in general is that they don't really try to hide it, you know? They just fall down, they cry, they throw a tantrum, they throw a fit, and they just don't even try to hide it. I mean, my daughter is kind of like her mom where, now, hold on, where every now and again, every now and again, she just needs a good cry, right? She just needs popcorn and a chick flick and just a good cry. And she says, it's, it's, I just need to cry. What? I don't get that. But that's, that's where my wife's at. And I think my daughter's there. You know, she just needs to cry every now and again. And I love that about Nora. She just, she just lets it go. Just, this is where I'm at. This is how I'm feeling. I want you to know. Everybody needs to know. I'm not good right now. But us adults, we, 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 we kind of bring it inside. And if it ever does kind of rear its head, we, we seek to rationalize it a little bit. Or we blame it on other people. It's their fault. It's his fault. It's her fault. Or we'll, we'll blame it on circumstances. Or we'll blame it on goofy things too, won't we? We'll blame it on things like our ethnicity. Well, I'm Irish. And... <laughs> You know, I'm hot-tempered. I'm just hot-tempered. I'm Irish. See my red hair? Hashtag Southie. It's just how it goes, right? It's everybody's fault. It's everything else's fault but our own. And what I want to show you this morning from the Scriptures is that when we are in a bad mood, it's because we got into a bad mood. Not unlike we got into our bed last night. And not unlike, we can choose to get out of our bed this morning. Colossians chapter 1 tells us that we are in Christ. And Christ is in us. And he's not in a bad mood. And so we don't have to be in a bad mood. We don't have to at least stay in a bad mood. We don't have to stay there. Does anybody want to stay there? Sometimes I think my kids get there where they just want to be in a bad mood. I hope we don't want to stay there. And so what we're looking at this morning is the topic of moodiness. I'm looking to see if anybody's flying elbows right now. Look to the person beside you and say, you better take some notes right now. Topic of of moodiness. You ever have mood swings? I do. I'm telling you, man, it just comes. You can't help it sometimes. It just hits you, but you don't have to stay there. So I believe that today is going to be really, really helpful. No matter where you're at on the spectrum from moodiness to full-blown depression from hey just a little bit touchy to you're in a cloud and you just can't seem to to get out and I've been there I've been on both sides where I just it hits me and I'm just moody today it just doesn't feel like a good day to I don't want to crawl out of bed today and tomorrow I don't want to crawl out. I've been I've been there as well so look with me at first kings chapter 17 we're going to look at Elijah's wilderness experience. So far we looked at the the wilderness experience of Moses. We've looked at the wilderness experience of Paul. And now I want to look at the wilderness experience of of Elijah. Elijah actually has two major wilderness experiences in his life as we see it in the scriptures. First is 1 Kings 17 and then also 1 Kings 
19. And, and, and we first meet Elijah actually in 1 Kings 17. He's a prophet of God. He's a preacher. That's his job. He is to say exactly what God wants him to say. Nothing more, nothing less. And so he goes up to the wicked king Ahab. And Ahab is leading God's people away from worship, worshiping Yahweh God. And worshiping a plethora of gods. Uh, one of whom in particular is uh, Baal. And so Elijah tells Ahab exactly what God tells him to say to him. And he says, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. So I'm speaking on behalf of God. And so when God tells me that there's going to be dew or rain, that, that's when there's going to be dew or rain. But there's not going to be dew or rain until then. And, and see, the people who worship Baal believe that Baal was the, uh, the, the god of, of, of the rain and also the god of fertility. And so no rain means Baal or Baal, we'll call them, uh, is, is bogus. And, and if God, the one true God, Yahweh God, can withhold rain, then that shows that he is in control. And Baal is, is no, no God at all. He's, he's fake. He's a statue. And what are we doing? And so the land enters into this drought. But God will protect Elijah in this season. He sends him into a wilderness. And through uh, this season of the wilderness, he performs some really, really strange miracles through a, a brook so that he can have water, and then also through bread flown into him by ravens, God will provide for Elijah some sustenance until God tells him he has to go somewhere else. And, and a few unbelievable miracles later, Elijah is in the wilderness again here in 1 Kings chapter 19. Uh, but as we've said throughout this series, wildernesses uh, can happen because God sends you there or wildernesses can happen because of your sin. Maybe God sends you into the wilderness for your own personal growth. Maybe it's for protection like he did for Elijah. Maybe it's for revelation. Uh, Paul comes out of the wilderness of Arabia with uh, just an amazing understanding of the truth of the gospel of Jesus. Maybe it's for preparation and all of it. It's sanctification, as Kevin walked us through last week. Other wildernesses in our lives happen initially because of our sin. We made bad decisions. We disobeyed God. We had poor thinking and, and it's sin. And God didn't send you there. And God doesn't want you to stay there. But he will, in his grace, use it for your good. That's how God works as we just saying about actually because he's a redeemer that's what God does he he redeems things like people who go to the redemption center and want to get some junk and and then they turn it into something beautiful God says I'm the manager of this redemption center I'm going to take another man's garbage or another man's mistakes is my treasure and I can make something beautiful out of it think about a, a, a mosaic a bunch of broken glass and you can make something absolutely beautiful of it. And that's what God does. And so let's look for just a minute at Elijah's first wilderness. First Kings chapter 17 verse 2 says this. It says, And the word of the Lord came to him, that's Elijah, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. And then it says, So he went. And so throughout the Elijah narrative, as you read about it in these uh, few chapters here, you'll see that he doesn't move unless God tells him to. It's really important. He doesn't move unless God tells him to. And so he says, I want you to go to the brook Cherith. And so he went. Look down to verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him, arise, go to Zarephath. Verse 9. 
So he arose and he goes to Zarephath and there God provides for him through this, this widow and, and this never-ending miraculous supply of oil and flour to be mixed together to make uh, these cakes for drought during, or for, for food during the drought, during the, the famine. And then eventually this widow's son will fall really ill and, and die and God will do this amazing miracle through Elijah and, and, and resurrect the boy back to life. And so that's, that's the story continues. And then in chapter 18, verse 1, it says this, this, after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. So again, in the third year, saying, go, show yourself to Ahab and I will send rain. Verse 2, so Elijah went and God sends rain. First, he sends fire from heaven and just incredible miracle and he defeats the prophets of Baal and, and then God ends the drought with this great rain and just amazing amazing miracles of God but again notice Elijah doesn't go unless God says go he stays put until God says go and so the first wilderness God said go to the brook so he went go to Zarephath so he went. Go to Ahab. So Elijah went. However, the, the second wilderness that we're really focusing in on today, in chapter 19, verse 4, look what it says. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. Now that sounds like depression, doesn't it? Struggling with, I don't want to continue on. I don't know that I want to live anymore. He's believing the lie that I'm no good. I'm, I'm no better than my father's. Are you kidding me? I mean, have you looked at the, the, the list, your resume, the miracles that God has done through you? It's just been incredible. He just wants to fall asleep. He doesn't want to crawl out of bed anymore. God didn't send him there. He went without God saying, go to this wilderness. This was his own self-inflicted wilderness. And I've been there myself. I've opened up a little bit to you about it already. And, and, and I'm telling you, my wilderness season was, was rough. And I'm so grateful to God that I'm on the other side of it. But I got there the same way Elijah got there. Verses 1 through 3 of, of chapter 19, if you want to look there. After these amazing miracles that that God has performed through him, King Ahab's wife Jezebel is now trying to kill Elijah. Now my season wasn't life or death by any stretch, but for me it was the pressures of what God had called me to just pile up. And you know how it goes, when, when one thing hits, it's hard. But when multiple things pile on top of you and you just feel like you just can't any longer, and that's where he's at. And like Elijah, I got myself I got my eyes off of the big God who had done all these amazing things and got my eyes on my small life circumstances, details that were really no match for him. And for me, I told you for the first time in my life, I found myself really longing for heaven. Like, God, it would be cool if you came while I was sleeping and I just woke up in heaven. I'd be okay with that. Never was able to say that before. Like my little kids right now where they say, Dad, eternity wigs me out. It's weird. I don't know. If I, do I want that? No, I promise you it's going to be good. Eventually you'll long for it. And that's where I, for the first time in my, my life, got, for the first time in my life, uh, I started believing lies that I'm no good. I'm not able. I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't do it. Self-doubt. Maybe you've been there too. It's never what God says. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
when Christ is in you, the hope of glory, you, you can do so much more than you could ever imagine because it's Christ in you. And when you just die to self and let him flex and do his thing, you can do limitless things, right? But I was believing the lie, I can't. I, I can't do it anymore. For the first time, I told you I, I found that I couldn't fall asleep at night. I'm telling you, my wife said that, she'll confirm, that's strange, right? I hit the bed and it's going to be 15 seconds and I'm out. But for the first time, I couldn't fall asleep. I was pacing. My little apartment just was a mess. Pleading with the Lord, God, where are you? Just, just an absolute mess. And then when I did finally fall asleep, I found in the morning, I'm a super early morning person. I was up at 4.30 this morning. I was super early morning. I couldn't even get out of bed. And I was just, I didn't want to get out of bed. Just wanted to stay Want to stay in bed. And I wonder if any of you have ever been there or are there right now. You're just at that place where you can't explain it. Maybe you can. Maybe it's circumstances. And maybe you just don't, I can't explain it. If you were to look on the, the outside, it looks like God's blessing. It looks like God's doing things. And, and, and yet I'm just in this kind of this dark spot. This is Elijah. You just had massive, massive victories, man. Seriously? can't always explain depression, can you? This is, this is Elijah. He just wants to die. I just can't go on anymore. Just fall asleep and die. Now read with me the rest of his story, and let's just take some time just to, to listen in on his story. Verses 4 through 18. But he himself, not God sending him, he himself went the day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It's enough now. O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water, God's provision again. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food, Forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. That's Moses' mountain, by the way. The same mountain where Moses got the Ten Commandments and first he was called of God at the burning bush. Verse 9. And there he came to a cave. So he got there, forty days later. Comes to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, the people of Israel, has forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even only I, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. I'm the only person in the world who feels this way. I am all by myself. Anybody ever felt that? It's not true. I, even only I, am left. They seek my life to take it away. Verse 11. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke into pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in a cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel, forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even only I, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. 
Nobody's ever said anything, but every now and again I regurgitate an illustration. I say the same thing. He just said this, preacher man just said the same thing again to the question of the Lord. It was like the Lord was asking a question. I want a different answer, my man. And he says verbatim the same thing. The Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And and, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, uh, of Amalmola, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So how many people have not bowed? 7,000. I'm the only one, God. I'm the only one faithful. I'm the only one living for you. 7,000. How encouraging was it for us, church? Good Friday down at Faneuil Hall. We get there, and sometimes it feels like we're the only ones in this, this city living for Jesus. And you look around, and so many people say, it was just amazing to look around, and there were so many believers worshiping the Lord, all these six different churches together. How beautiful was that? So, Elijah's depressed. He, I mean, he is just really depressed, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I told you, depression doesn't always make a whole lot of sense. But what's the first thing that God says, if you look back at the beginning there? First thing God says to him, he says, arise and eat. And God provides him with this biscuit and some water at the head of his bed. And then Elijah goes back to sleep. And God comes to him again and says, arise and eat. And he provides for him again. And one of the best things that you can do, make sure that you're doing, if you're battling depression or you're feeling moody, is keep going. Routine is a very good thing when you're in depression. Listen, it is so easy just to stay in bed and just to sleep and pull the covers over your head and isolate yourself and get away from people. Skip church, skip your group, don't go to work, call in sick. And what happens is you stay in and you dwell on the pain. And as you're dwelling on it, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger because that's all you see, that's all you think about. And God says, let's keep going. Arise, eat, get up, let's get out of bed. Let's keep going, let's keep going. Now's also not the time to make big decisions when you're in the fog because you can't see clearly. Don't go making big decisions. Don't go quitting things. Don't go leaving things. Don't do that. Not when you're in the, the fog, one foot in front of the other. And that's what God says to him. Get up, let's eat, let's keep moving. Let's keep moving, Elijah. Let's not, let's not stop. And so Elijah gets up and he gets out the door and he heads to Mount Horeb like, God told him to. And that's where Elijah is going to have a a big time meeting with God, just like Moses had a big time meeting with God twice there. But first, there's those 40 days that it takes him to get to the mountain. 40 days of of wilderness before he gets there. And and some of you are going to see God move, but you got a day in and day out. Arise. Eat. Keep going. Arise. Eat. Keep going. Arise. Eat. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going, keep going. And he finally gets there. And as we read here, when he finally gets there, does he go up on the mountain? No, he goes into a cave. Depression doesn't doesn't just go away. 
We can't, we can't, when we're helping people or maybe when you're there yourself and you're struggling with depression, you can't just say, suck it up, get over it. Read your Bible, pray, go to church, be happy. It's not that easy. It takes time. It's, it's longevity. It's, it's pressing on, pressing on, and slowly, slowly, slowly the fog is lifted. But he's still in it 40 days later. He's in, he's in a cave. God's working on him. And God asks Elijah a very, very important question, one that will determine the state of Elijah's soul. And the big question is, what are you doing here? Like, why are you here? Why are you in this place, Elijah? It's, it's this tone of, I didn't put you here. I didn't tell you to, to go into that cave. I told you to go up on that mountain. I didn't tell you to go in that other wilderness. I told you to, to stay put, and, and, and yet you, you went and, and you ran. What are you doing here? And I think that's God's question for you maybe this morning is, what are you doing here? I don't want you, I don't want you here. I don't want you in this this spot, again, it's all going to be used for your sanctification and for your good, but not every wilderness is, well, God did this to me. Sometimes it's bad thinking that grew and grew and snowballed and snowballed and snowballed, and now you're here and you're stuck, and God says, I don't want you here. I don't, I don't want you here. You are more than conquerors, the Bible says, those who are in Christ Jesus. We're going to conquer this. We're going to, we're going to, it might not be tomorrow morning you're going to wake up and it's over. We are going to conquer this. You've got to fight. You've got to fight. I don't want you here. What are you doing in a bad mood? Just, just this hour, this day, this week. What, I don't want you there. I'm not in a bad mood and Christ is in you. He's not in a bad mood. I don't want you here. You fell into a bad mood. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. This is not where I want you. Now notice his response again. He, he says, oh Lord, and he starts to talk about everything. I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel. They've forsaken your covenant. They've, thrown, they've, they've been a mess. And, and I'm the only guy left being faithful. And now they're trying to, to kill me. Wrong answer. And we know it's the wrong answer because God asks the same question again. I'm looking for something different. And then he gives the exact same answer uh, again. What are you doing here? He's still inside of the cave. He's still hanging out inside. of. The, I, I don't want you on the cave. I want you on the, the mountain. Because up on the mountain is where I'm going to display to you who I am. I'm going to display to you my, my might. And God does this. What he does is, is out on the mountain outside of the cave, through a very strong wind that comes by. And we don't quite know what that looks like, but it must have been just absolutely incredible. But hey, nobody saw it because he was hanging out in a cave. And this massive wind comes by. And then it says that God wasn't in the wind. And then an earthquake and rocks split open and God wasn't in the earthquake. And then, then fire, earth, wind, and fire, 70s funk band. That's where we get it from, right? And, and so, and, and he wasn't in the fire. It just must have been a crazy scene. But it says God wasn't seen in all of that. Elijah stays in the cave. And then after all of these spectacles, it says a what? A whisper. A low whisper. And that's when Elijah finally hears something. And he gets up out of the cave and he, he covers up his face with a, a cloak and he goes out to the edge of the, the cave and God speaks again. What are you doing here, Elijah? And that's when he actually gets to see, see the Lord. It's through a, a whisper. And here, here's the point. Back on Mount Carmel, where the fire rained down from heaven and the prophets of Baal were defeated, 
God moved in spectacular ways, and God's power was seen in spectacular ways. But here on Mount Horeb, God is found in in a whisper. And sometimes God is found in, in quietness. It's both. We can point in the Bible and see instances where God did amazing things. Maybe you can point in your life and see instances where God did amazing things. It was spectacular. It was undeniable. And there's other instances where it's just, it's that still small voice of God. It's that quietness and that, that, that assurance that he's there. And, and in the midst of your mood swings and in your depression and in dark days, you've got to listen for the whisper, for the, for the, the voice of the Lord in the midst of the, the quietness. And when pain and when emotional confusion is, is clouding you and you can't see the evidence of God's work, the, the spectacular, and you don't appreciate the sunset anymore, you don't appreciate the rainbow anymore, you don't get moved by seeing children running around and, and, and singing, it's not doing it for you anymore. Sometimes it's just that voice of the Lord that will, right at the right time, he calls you out of the cave. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says it this way. It says, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. He heard, he heard the voice, the word of the Lord. And so we've seen what moodiness and then what depression looks like for Elijah in his second wilderness. And maybe you've seen a bit of yourself in Elijah, maybe. James chapter 5, verse 17 says this. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Really? Because Elijah did a lot of crazy miracles, and that's not me. He's got a nature like you. He's a human. He saw God do big things, but he also struggled with depression. And we're like that. We can look in seasons of our life. God is faithful. God saved me. God did this or that. But right now, I don't see God at all. And so maybe you relate with Elijah a little bit. Now the question is, now, so now what? So how do we respond? And what I want to do for the next few minutes together is I want to look at at an important passage on this really common struggle that many, many of us face. And so flip with me to Colossians chapter 3. I told you we're going to look at two passages. Flip with me to Colossians chapter 3, and we'll go 15 through 17. I, I want your eyes on this passage. I would encourage you to memorize this passage because this is just, this is such an important passage. I believe you're going to find uh, some great tools from the Lord for surviving mood swings and surviving uh, bouts with depression. And I'll tell you while you're flipping there, I'm not claiming to be a psychiatrist by any stretch. I believe that their understanding of the brain and their understanding of, of chemical activities is, is part of God's common grace to us as humans where we can understand the, the brain and so we, we take a holistic approach where we, we believe that, that there's a spiritual, there's a mental, there's a physical component to all of this that, that needs to be worked in tandem. But so often we go straight there and we neglect the spiritual and so I want to address the, the spiritual component of this. Uh, it's so important. Colossians 3, uh, 15 through 17. I, I want to show you some really, really cool, cool things. And, and, and what we've got here really are resources for this, this journey of the wilderness. So, some resources for wrestling with emotions because we're emotional beings, some more than other. Resources for going through the moods, going through the seasons, going through depression and, and highs. And I want you to think of it like this. Think of it like a backpack. Think of it like you have a backpack and these are some things that you're going to put in the backpack that are going to be helpful for you. Anybody ever been camping and you get out camping and you say, man, I wish I had that but it's too late. 
It's important to pack the backpack now. John F. Kennedy said it this way, the time to repair the roof is when the sun is shining. We got some pregnant people in the room. The time to pack the hospital bag is not when your water breaks, right? It's before. And, and similarly, the time to pack the wilderness backpack is before you're in the wilderness. So if you're not in it right now, this is a great time. Don't think, well, I'm not there. I'm good. This is a great time to make sure you are stocked up on these resources. Stocked up. So read with me Colossians 3, 15, all the way through 17. And again, maybe you want to memorize this. It says, and let the peace, anybody want peace? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called. You were called to have peace. To which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Man, such an awesome passage. Such an awesome passage. It's been moving me all week, and it's been a, a huge, huge passage in my life for so long. Here, here's the first thing I want to encourage you to throw in the wilderness pack, and that's a compass. So if you're a note taker, a compass. You've got to know what direction you're going in. Most of us in this room are, are pretty much regulars on the train, right? The, the, the T, you ride it frequently, and I do too. Kind of pride myself, I'll be honest. I'm a little bit cocky about how I am with maps, you know? And so you go to my house, I got a couple maps, got some glo- a globe, and I'm kind of cocky about that. I know where I'm going. But every now and again, I find myself on the right train going in the wrong direction. You know what I mean? And I'm telling you, when you get to... Park Street and Downtown Crossing and that tunnel that goes right there, it just gets confusing. And you're up under the train track and I'm like, I know I'm in the orange and, and you don't really know, am I, uptown, am I going uptown or downtown? Because I'm right in the middle, I don't know, to get back home to the west side. Of the, I don't, I don't, and you just kind of get confused and you get, you, get, you get turned around and it's hard to figure out which direction the train is going. Have you ever heard the phrase, a train of thought? Follow me with this train of thought. You've heard that before? We're talking about moods. We're talking about depression. We're talking about what flows into your mind, the lies that you believe, the thoughts that you think that, that snowball into to greater seasons, wilderness seasons of de- depression. Oftentimes, you just can't help oftentimes what pops into your, your mind. It just gets there. But what you can help is once it pops into your mind, what are you going to do with that thought? You can control, what am I going to do with that thought? In other words, am I going to board that train? Am I going to follow that thought to its destination? Or am I just going to let it pass by? you got to know which way it's going. Is it taking me to Forest Hills or is it taking me to Oak Grove? I, I need to know. Where, where, am I, where am I going? And when a negative thought rolls into your platform, you don't have to board. But so often we, we board, and sometimes I think we want to board. We like the drama, some of us. You don't have to board that train. You've got to ask, where is it going to take me? If it's thoughts of, of self-doubt, and you get that gut check, I'm an idiot. You don't have to board that 
train. Where's that going to take me? Is that going to spiral me into? Last time I did this route and I followed that train, where did it take me? I've seen other people go there and it just takes them in a direction that they don't want to go. Maybe it's the thought of suspicion of other people. You, you ever been there? I always encourage people, don't assume the worst. So often I think we assume the worst in other people. They're thinking bad thoughts about me. They don't like me. And it turns around now we, how we treat them and, and it just and it, it, why are they treating me poorly? I don't know why they're treating me poorly. Maybe it just started with you thinking that they thought something of you that they never thought of you in the first place because you're suspicious. When you get that, shut it down. Whatever you do for the glory of Christ, you can't be suspicious of other people for the glory of Christ. I'm bitter in the name of Jesus. I'm such a loser. Praise the Lord. You, you, can't, you can't do that. Maybe it's your, your frustration. Are you going to entertain that? Let it get bigger and bigger and bigger? Are you going to board that, that train? And so this first line is crucial. It's what we want. We want the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts. Anybody want peace? I want peace. And it's, it's available to you. It's available. It's like, it's like a water spigot. It's right there. You can... Turn it and let the peace of Christ flow. You can let the peace of Christ rule or you can turn it off. He says, I've made it available to you. If you're a Christian, it's there. You are connected to God the Father through Jesus. The connection is there. The plumbing is there. You are right with God because of what Jesus has done. You're connected. Once disconnected, now you're connected. But the peace, you can, you can shut that valve off. You cannot allow the peace of God to flow. Let it rule, he says. Let it rule in your hearts. Let it rule. So how do we do that? I'd say it maybe this way. I heard a pastor say this one time. He says, you gotta, you got to install some TSA up in your soul. You know what I mean? you got to install some TSA up in your heart. A, a thought rolls in, it's trying to board. And you, you get over here. You take off your shoes. Take off your belt. Go through the metal detector. I'm going to pat that thought down. Where is, am I going to let this thought on? Am I, are we going to board you? No, I don't think we're going to. We're not going to board you. Spread your legs in the interrogation room. You've got you to interrogate these thoughts that are in your mind. Is that of God? Who sent you? Let me see your passport. Is that from God? Is that from the enemy? Who is that from? You've got to install some TSA up in your soul. You don't have to let it in because you can let in the peace of God, the, the peace of God. Philippians 4 8 says this finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, is there anything excellent? Uh, if there's anything that's worthy of praise, you think about these things. So often we let that board, those negative thoughts, and we, we think about those things. And that's not Jesus. That's not in the name of Jesus. And so you've got to bring a compass in the wilderness. And that compass is Jesus. Fix your eyes on, what does Hebrews say? Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. You get turned around, you just go, where's Jesus? Oh, there he is. Okay, that's where I'm going. You don't have to entertain all those other thoughts. You need a compass. Bring it in the wilderness, a compass. Here's another item for the backpack. Move in a little faster. If you're writing this down, it's sustenance sustenance look at verse 16 it says let the word of christ dwell in you richly that is the scriptures 
you got to let the Scriptures dwell in your heart. That's your spiritual sustenance. Think about Elijah in the, in the wilderness. God sustained him with water and with uh, the, 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 the flour and the oil that was never ending uh, in Zarephath with the widow and, and the ravens brought in the bread and they were able to make bread from all of this. He, he had sustenance from the Lord. Think about the people of Israel in their wilderness. They were wandering in, in manna, which is bread essentially falling from heaven and landing on the, the ground and every morning they'd wake up and they, they would be right there and it was their, their sustenance. Then we get into the New Testament and it says that the, the, the scriptures, it's the bread of life, the water of the word. This is our sustenance. It's amazing how God, it's like he knew what he was doing when he was writing the story of the the Bible throughout all of human history. I knew exactly what I was going to do. I was tying all this together. And we have likewise got to be sustained by the, the scriptures. It's just as much a miracle that you have a Bible in your hands today that Elijah had ravens dropping him double cheeseburgers in the morning. It's just as much a miracle that, that you have the bread, that Israel woke up and stepped out of their tent and there was, there was manna. On, this is a miracle that you have this. Kings throughout history have sought to eradicate the Bible off the face of the planet and they weren't successful. There was a season where it was hidden in caves, Qumran, and they still couldn't get rid of it because later it's discovered and it's, it's, ma- it's a miracle that you have. The sustenance of the word, you've got to open it daily. You've got to learn it. You've got to, you've got to memorize. Memorizing scripture has been huge for me. And my bouts with anxiety, I'm telling you, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, I've repeated that hundreds, maybe a thousand times in my head. Be anxious for nothing but with everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace, the peace, I don't want to be anxious. The peace of God that passes all understanding. It's going to guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. You've got to memorize it. Got to memorize it. When we started this church and it was hard, and it was painful, it was difficult, and self-doubt started to creep in, man, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24, faithful is he who calls you. He will also bring it to pass. He called, I got to know you called. Just memorizing and repeating and over and over. If you're in the cloud, but you're not in the Bible, something's off. That's the first thing I'm going to say is, are you opening your Bible? you gotta, you got to open your Bible. And so when you get the gut check of moods or bad thoughts, you don't want to board that train of thought. You do want to board true trains, truth. You want to open up your, your Bible. And so where is the Word in your life? That's a big question for every single one of us. We must be a people of the Word. The first church was described as they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that is, the, the Scriptures. Another item in your wilderness pack is, is this, friends. Friends. Now, I know, I know, you can't put your friend in your backpack. That's kind of weird. My illustration falls apart here, and so let's call it your black book. Put that in your backpack. I don't know, so you can call them up, or, or your contact list. I, I don't know. But, but again, Elijah, I, only I am left. I got nobody. And God says, what are you talking about? I got thousands of people who have not yet bowed to Baal. I got thousands of people. 7,000. Colossians chapter 3 says it this way. We are to be teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom. 
Several years ago as a church, we went through a series that we called the One Another Series because in the New Testament, that phrase, that word, alelon, appears over and over and over again, up to a hundred times in the Bible. One another. One another. Our faith is not meant to be lived alone. It's meant to be lived with other people. And so when is the time to fix the roof? When the sun is shining. So you've got to take steps now if you're not in the wilderness to develop those relationships. You think, oh, I don't need them. I don't need them. I'm good. I don't, I don't need to be plugged into a group. I don't need to hang out with people. I'm just going to do my own thing, show up on Sunday. That's, that's all I need. I, I'm good. Relationships require effort, especially in this city. People are busy. We pride ourselves in being busy. That's how we tell people I'm, I'm important, I'm needed. What's the first thing? How, how are you doing? Oh, man, so busy. People need me. And so we're busy, 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 and it's a self-worth thing in, in this culture of Boston. And so it's hard to build relationships, but you've got to do it. Friendships are invaluable. And so right now, before you get in the wilderness, make efforts to build relationships. You, you've got to do it, even if you don't feel like you need it right now. I've always imagined the Garden of Gethsemane as the darkest moment of Jesus' earthly life. And some people say, well, no, the cross. I mean, obviously the cross was the darkest moment. But sometimes it's the moment before the moment. You know what I mean? And he wouldn't have entered that moment had he not succeeded with this moment. And that was the moment in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was, he was praying and sweating drops of blood where he was tempted to throw in the towel. But what did Jesus do in that darkest moment of his life? He calls out to his closest friends. Hey, guys. Peter, James, John, come with me. Walk with me. And they walk, and they go a little way. He says, okay, now here's what, here's what I need you to do. I need you to stop. I need, just pray. Please pray for me. And so he then steps a few steps further, stones throw away, and he starts to pray. He comes back to check on them, and what are they doing? Sleeping. What does he do? Wake up. I need you to pray. We need that. Sometimes we've got to wake somebody up. Well, I don't want to inconvenience them. Inconvenience them. And if you're inconvenienced by somebody reaching out to you, don't say, yeah, yeah, I see you're hurting. Let's schedule something. Three weeks from now, let's get together. We need to be interruptible, Christians. We're, I know it's Boston. I know we're, we're driven. I know we've got busy calendar. We, I had to learn that a few years ago. I was just so not good at that. So type A. I had to become interruptible. It was a lesson I just had to learn. We've got to be interruptible. Don't, don't be upset if you have to wake somebody up. And if, if they're not, there, I'm telling you, they need to learn this lesson. Get woken up. Because it often is urgent. People need help. People need good friends. I could not make it had it not been for people in my life who were there for me and checking up on me and I could go and I could talk to. Even though I felt alone, I realized oh, there's, there, are, there are some people who care for me. Obviously, my wife, and we, we would have long, long conversations and cry together and pray together. God gave me a few other people who were there for me in, in, in dark, dark difficulty. I could not have made it without them. And so if the sun is shining, let's build some relationships now. You can't get around that in the Bible, so I do not understand how Christians can't, can't get with this program. It is so clear in the Bible. Our faith is meant to be lived out with other people, one another, a hundred times. And they devoted themselves. Together they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching.
Let me give you one more item for the wilderness backpack. And this might feel a little strange at first, but another item for the wilderness backpack is a soundtrack. A soundtrack. Be sure to pack some earbuds. Put on your beats by Dr. Dre in your, your backpack. The mood music to push you up the mountain. A little eye of the tiger while you're running through Philadelphia. You need that. There was an interview done with Steven Spielberg and uh, he was saying that when they made Jaws, which, man, crazy movie, right? When they made Jaws, he said, you know the shark that comes up at the end? Well, he, he, was, he was Bruce the shark. And, and Bruce the shark, pretty lame, right? <laughs> and the deal was that Bruce the shark was, was broken. He was actually supposed to pop his head up more times throughout the movie, but he was broken. And man, good thing he was broken, because if he had popped up earlier in the movie, you said, Pfft. I'm not scared of that piece of plastic or plexiglass or whatever, fiberglass. And then he said, you know what made the movie? You know what made the movie? Da-dum, da-dum. You watch that movie in mute or just cut the music out if we were able to do that? I'm not scared. You watch any scary movie without music? It's not scary. It's laughable. Music is powerful, isn't it? it's It's just powerful stuff. An example from, from, the, from the scriptures, King Saul was mentally deranged and tormented. I mean, just a mess. And what did he do? Hey, get that, that, that shepherd boy, get David. And he comes and he plays music. And when he's playing the music, his spirit is calmed. It's amazing. Music is powerful. God created us in such a way that music resonates with our, our, our souls. And that's why here in Colossians chapter 3, uh, verse 16, if you're going to let the peace of God rule, you're going to be singing psalms and hymns and, and spiritual songs. We've already done that this morning. We read some psalms. We sang some psalms. We, we sang a, a hymn, It Is Well. And spiritual songs, just more, more general. It's not necessarily a hymn. It's spiritual songs and, and, and we do that. We, we sing. We, we sing about the Lord and there's music accompanying it. And so some people say, well, I just, I don't really, you know, there's no priority to get here at 10 o'clock, you know, because it's just not a big deal. As long as I get there for the sermon or get there for the teaching, that's all that really matters. I'm a person of the word, right? No, you, you see through the scriptures that, that music helps inform the word and the word in, in informs the worship and they work in tandem. It's so so important. I'll give you an example of that from the, the, the scriptures. So there's Elijah, but his successor is Elisha. Well, that's confusing. Works out really well. So Elisha comes behind him. And in 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 15, Elisha is brought before three kings and essentially has this amazing opportunity to preach and to bring it. I mean, bring the word of God in a powerful way. But listen to what, what happens. Uh, 2 Kings 3, 15 and 16. It says, so here's what he says before he preaches, before he shares God's plan. He says, but now bring me a musician. And when the musician played, the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, thus says the Lord. He says, I'll preach, but first give me some background music. I need a, I need a musician because our hearts are wired in such a way where music does something. I know there's different preferences uh, of music. And I know it also means you've got to be careful with music because you can play a little music and tickle some, some, some emotions and then throw some lies on top of that or whatever you're listening to. 
kind of music you're listening to can inform some things in your life. Your children are going to hear what you're listening on the radio. Be careful. But music is powerful. He says, I'm going to preach once I have some music, and it's going to prepare my heart for the preaching of the Word, and it's also going to prepare their heart that as I'm preaching, there's music going. And, and one of our ladies in our church, the, the song, Lord, I Need You, has just moved her heart in, in, in just difficult seasons. Just a few weeks ago, after starting this series, I had another lady come up to me and say, she said, when I was battling with cancer, it was that song that we're singing, Desert Song. Love that song, huh? become our, kind of our theme song in this series. So that song and the truths of that song just were so helpful. And it's not simply just music and notes. It, it's the posture of the, the heart. That three times in this passage here in Colossians, we are commanded to have thankful hearts. To be thanking God, thinking on Him and thanking Him. It's hard to be moody and negative and pessimistic and thankful at the same time. You ever played that game with yourself? I can think about two things at the exact same time. It's almost impossible. That's why God keeps saying, praise me, praise me, praise me, praise me, praise me. C.S. Lewis, a great author and and, uh, just apologist, he said it this way. He said, before I became a Christian, I thought God, if God inspired the whole Bible and he's in the psalm saying, praise me, praise me, praise me. God's just like a nagging old woman. Praise me, praise me. Talk about me. He said, but when I realized that God was saying, fix your eyes on the one who is lovely and perfect and beautiful, I realized that God was doing that. One, yes, because he's worthy of it, but two, because it's good for me. It's good for me to be thankful and to be thinking on his attributes. And so we sing and we celebrate and we worship and we do that because God has called us to and God has called us to because it's going to help. It's going to help you to press on. In fact, would you do this with me right now? Would you close your eyes? Would you go ahead and close your eyes? And while your eyes are closed, I'm going I'm to pull in Elisha and say, bring me a musician. And they're just going to come up here and they're going to prepare to lead us a little bit here. But I want to give you the opportunity now at the end of this message just to, to fix your eyes on him. To be thankful in the midst of pain that you're feeling, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of just some turmoil you're going through, be thankful. Be thankful. Be thankful. What has God done for you? How is He good in your life? Practice that I do is I'll I'll write stuff down just so I can record it and I can go back to it. And I can say, no, God, you did do something amazing on that day. I remember it. I wrote it down. Think on him and thank him. God wants the peace of Christ to reign in your heart. I want the peace of God to reign in my heart. And there's no special formula. Depression can be a long journey. 
God, these are some tools that I pray will just be helpful. And so God, I pray that these things that we read about in the scriptures would help your people to have hearts that are just full of peace. That kind of peace that passes all understanding, it just doesn't make sense. And so Lord, may they be a people of a soundtrack. They're, they're worshiping you. They're thanking you. They're singing about you. May we be a people of, of, of healthy, holy, God-honoring friendships where we are not sharing our own opinion. We are sharing the Word of God and we are encouraging and spurring one another on to, to live the life that you called them to live. But we are people who are sustained by your Word. That we would see it as a miracle that we're holding a Bible. When there are places all over the world right now, if they had their hands on a Bible and they were seen with it, they could be killed. What a miracle. And God, may we have that compass of Jesus. That if it doesn't point us to Jesus, if it doesn't lead us to greater praise of Jesus, if it's not our eyes fixed on Jesus, we're looking in the wrong direction. We're boarding the wrong train. And so God, may we use these resources that you have given us And God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you rescue people from that pit of despair that the Bible talks about? And God, I'm I'm praying a prayer, just a request right now that you would would bring wholeness and healing and hope to people who are hurting. And may they be quick to share what they're going through so they can get the support that they need. And while your eyes are closed, if that's you and and, and you're there, would you please, please take a moment with your connection card just to communicate that to us. Here's what I'm feeling. Here's what I struggle with. Write it down. And we're going to be praying. If you need us to reach out to you, let us know. We want to support you. If you've never given your life to Jesus, today's the day. Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Be connected back to the Father through the cross of Jesus Christ. He died for you because he has a tremendous love for you. Don't believe the lie that you're not worthy, that nobody loves you. He loves you. He cares for you. He died for you. And now he calls you to turn from sin and turn to him and trust in him and receive life. An eternal life in Jesus. God, thank you for these truths. May we be your people, people of hope, people who shine bright. But when we struggle and when we feel things that are painful, God, I pray that we would be the family we need to be. We'd be the people of the word that we need to be. We need to be worshipers that we need to be. We'd be a Jesus people that we need to be. We pray all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.